Coming at you from Handsome Headquarters here in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm Lee Sanger Golden, and you're listening to me talk on the internet. I'm joined remotely, as always, by my illustrious co-host, Ben. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right, my man. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm doing okay, actually. You know, today was I've been feeling pretty healthy throughout the entire um, lockdown that we've been experiencing here in the, uh, the United States. Um, although today I did feel a little, um, I did feel a little bit sort of not feverish, but a little bit warm. <gasps> and so now I'm very, I'm hyper aware of everything is my, I keep smelling things, you know, like is my, is my smell here? You know, I keep, I keep checking my throat to make sure I'm okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I think for a while there, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get coronavirus for sure. And then for a while, I'm like, oh, actually, this is this lockdown's working. I'm not going to get it at all. Uh, but and now I'm kind of like, it could go either way. And I don't really care either way. Um, in a way, if I if I get it and I don't die, it'll be kind of a relief because I'll just kind of have it over with and I can kind of go go on with my life and <clears throat> be one of those people who can can go do things uh, to help other people because I won't be, uh, I won't be risking anybody. Uh, exactly. So you gotta decide how we, you know, I've been saying to myself a lot lately, you, I'd rather die trying than live waiting. Right. Yeah. That's, 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 that's excellent. Yeah. I, I think so too. Um, so, you know, a lot of people have been playing um, this new game, uh, Harvest Moon. Oh, not Duke Nukem. Uh, no. Okay. Wait no, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, not Harvest Moon, the other one, Animal Crossing. There's, uh, they're both similar. They're both like these sort of um, uh, video game, cartoony life sims, where it's uh, uh, in, in the case of um, Animal Crossing, you uh, go live on this little uh, remote island with these animal creatures, and uh, you kind of live a little life there, and you go fishing, and you find things, and you build things, and you craft things, and you make friends and and if other friends have the game you can go to their island and hang out with them if you have multiple people at, at your house uh they can join the game as well so my wife and i have created an island lol st james um in honor of uh the um jeffrey epstein combat compound mm. well, not in honor <laughs> in reference in joking reference in r e colon what's that yes in reference. In reference, exactly. Because um, my wife is bizarrely obsessed still with the whole Epstein uh, saga, as it were. Um, so anyway, yeah, so my wife and I have been fishing, and we'll leave each other little presents outside each other's tent. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's interesting because over the last few weeks, we've been doing some pretty awesome uh, uh, work at uh, our unnamed uh, organization. Um and stuff that's like actually helping um, uh, deal with the current crises, and actually, uh, for the first time, I you know um, feel like some of the work that I'm doing might actually directly be be helping people. And um, oh, that's great, which is great. But the funny thing is, last night while fishing with my wife and thinking about and looking at the fake moon in our Animal Crossing island, I felt this sense of um, purpose, ambition, uh, community, love, and connection uh, that I have not been feeling in my, in my real life from this, uh, this harvest moon life. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, like, 
my wife and I are like giving each other chores like, Oh Lee, uh, you need to go pick up those weeds that are over there. Oh, Hey, can you sell that fish that, uh, that I got? Oh yeah. Just leave it in the recycle bin down uh, in the main tent and uh, I'll go take care of that. So we have this like, since we're cramped into, you know, uh, relatively small quarters here, uh, although we are lucky to have a, a nice, uh, nice spot. Um, it is nice for us to have this virtual space that we can kind of go to our uh, sides of the island and, and do our thing. Um, so apparently this is a common thing. A lot of, a lot of uh, people our age are getting into this Animal Crossing. And I've been finding myself getting into all kinds of like simulation resource management games. Like I, I cracked back into SimCity 2000, which is like from oh, like three. Yeah. Oh, dude. I tried playing, the, you remember that new game Cities Skyline? That's like the new- you, you introduced me to it. I got addicted to it when I first moved to LA, first met you. Oh, okay. That was my fault. You know, I have that game. I, I booted it up, tried to play it, and I was like, you know what? I actually just want to play SimCity 2000. Dude, oh, it's hi. way, yeah. And I, I, I created this huge, beautiful city, and I let it running when I went out to get supplies the other day, and I came back, and I had 400,000 civilians. So I've had I have more money than I've ever had. And I've created this paradise. I created this beautiful paradise. There was, it was a zero tax rate, but all of the, the social services were fully funded. All of the social programs were, were fully funded. And it was like, I had created this total paradise and I was looking at it last night. And then I clicked on every single disaster and this drowned and burnt that piece of shit city to the ground. That's awesome. crazy. You know what I realized with SimCity, they don't have non-productive uses of money creation, which is one of our greatest, and it's also not a crisis you can, a disaster yeah. you can implement. They're all natural ones, right? Not man-made ones. Like, fine, you know. Making um, you can do riots. You can do riots. That's the only man-made. Uh, That's not a disaster. That's change. That's progressive change. <laughs> well, I guess riots have been bad at times too. Very bad. So if anyone yeah, out there, anyway, if anyone out there uh, in uh, in internet land uh, has some ideas for some mayhem I can cause in my my city, um, that would be great. So what about you? What have you been doing to stay, to stay insane? I'm not going to say stay sane because there's no way to stay sane. So what have you been doing to stay insane? Um, been, you know, keeping at it with the unnamed job. Uh, nice. busy. Good. And spend a lot of time both trying to bring in some of my work outside my job into the job in little bits and pieces oh. for consciousness raising around uh, public banking. And I even today read a lot of the CARES Act, and then also reference to the Federal Reserve Act um, from nice. quite some time ago, um, and then some of the you know the amendments too, because we're really looking at ways that a city like LA uh -huh. in because um, what we're really realizing, like the reason public banks is getting so much attention by most every social movement right now, is that the power to create money to be driven into the things of real value in the real economy and be uh -huh. decided on locally is a way more powerful way to achieve social change and justice than asking for little tidbits and little breadcrumbs from the powers that be. It's like, fuck all. Oh, yeah. We can yeah. make decisions on our own. We don't, we don't need to ask you for a $10 million grant. So screw you. It's yeah. more like, you know, you could still have there, you know, even if you look at Germany, which has quite a vibrant system, yeah. The big banks still have about 25 to 30% of assets. In the U.S., it's closer to 80 or 85. So it's basically yeah. saying you'll still exist. You'll still have your job. You'll still be able to do what you're doing. But it'll be a little bit less or, you know, about half the size, which is still a lot. 
Yeah. And then cities and counties and states around the country, and even which have a significant amount of, especially at the city level, input from neighborhoods, not only small businesses, but care industry, 21st century infrastructure, it can be adequately funded because it provides, it creates real value. So let us decide how to create money because that's what banks do. And so, mm-hmm. you know, been been trying to, to work that angle at the city, state, and now even federal level, um, trying to figure out if we have another stimulus package. Because yeah. we, we're able to get a few phrases to someone on the Senate Finance Committee that may or may not make it into the final bill, like it might get, you know, crossed out. But what could we do that would allow this to happen? So I've been spending a lot of time staying insane uh, uh, doing this. And, um, so you've been actually working on uh, making the world a better place where I just, I've been working on making my, my Sim City and my uh, uh, Animal Crossing Island a, a better place. Well, hey, you know, I like to think so, but <laughs> my frame of reference is the last, what modern banking has been around for 400 years. Yeah, yeah, making the world a worse place in a one million year f- time frame, whereas you are not. You're okay doing very so. In the in in our human scale, yes, I might be making the world a better place, but <laughs> maybe in a million years, this will have turned out to be a very bad thing. I okay, have no so idea. so basically, uh, maybe it's better for the world for everyone just to sit around and play SimCity. Uh, maybe we'll never know. All I know is that. I feel a more and more reform minded and great. You know, people say revolutionary. It's, it's got me jazzed up. It's got me moving power to the people. Excellent. Well, let's talk so, about, let's yeah. talk about revolution. Okay. Uh, so um, there was a, I can't believe this, but there was a Bloomberg editorial about how um, uh, uh, sort of, workers who the working poor are, are gonna be in a position where they might sort of have to rise up and uh, become a revolutionary faction if they want to survive in this country. And um, I think all of us are one, you know, we're all one mistake away from, from being the, the working poor. So um, we're not one mistake, we're one uh, life uh, incident from, from being working poor or being non-working poor. So um, I think the people who uh, are being basically forced to work like the fast food workers who are considered essential uh, uh, people. And, and, and they're uh, all of these, uh, you know, posts going on social media of, Oh, these people are fucking heroes and all this kind of stuff. It's not that they're heroes. It's that they are exploited people who are being forced to put themselves at risk. I mean, you could call them heroes, but it's almost by calling them heroes. It's undermining the fact that they are being uh, abused by, um, by our uh, economic uh, social structure in this country. And oh, totally. um, we were, I felt, I feel like we were already so close to almost being at the point of revolution sort of breaking out in our country. Uh, and the only thing, and you and I have talked about this. The only thing that really kept us away from that is that you can be pretty poor in this country and still have a life that's better than most people in the world. And most people throughout human history, like you can, in this country, it's, you can live like, you know, on, uh, you can, you can be very poor, but still have like a big screen TV or a phone or whatever. And I'm not saying that that is, makes it, oh, it's, oh, it's so fine. Our corporate overlords give us, you know, Nintendo switches. Yeah. So it's terrible. It's terrible. But, but that, but let's face it, it, if you can go home and Netflix and chill, 
you know, and, uh, and, and, uh, at mcdonald's you know your life isn't so horrible that you're going to want to revolt but once those little pleasures that they dangle in front of us to keep us uh uh not even happy but to keep us from rising up once those go away you know we're really at a breaking point. yeah and i think part of it is that not just the feeling of but the real yeah say and control over the systems that we live in and so, you know, like Malthus or whatever, one of those guys a hundred years ago said, you don't really get revolution unless people are starving, which is definitely a, a cause. There's no doubt about that. But I think we can go a step further. You don't need people to be, you don't need mass starvation to have a true revolution. You can have a complete decrease in agency over generations. Take And it's like continued systemic and institutional, whether it's racism or sexism, but in this country, it's mainly racism. And that will... And so, and it's also this class-based work, which, you know, those overlap. And so what you're saying is totally true. And I sometimes think at the, one of my, I think I said this uh, uh, earlier episode, but one of the uh, coffee shops I love going to, they attribute this to JFK. Um, maybe someone else said it, but the, it was basically, if you don't facilitate the peaceful revolution, you make the violent one inevitable. Right. And so it's basically saying like people, a lot of people have been trying to change the systems they live under forever, including a lot over the last few generations. So to say like people are complacent or don't care, it's like some are, but some aren't. Yeah. So it's like more and more people join the ranks of protest and also peaceful, like let's change laws, let's get different people elected. Yeah. But then it comes down to the longer and longer you don't allow that to happen by the people mm -hmm. who hold true uh, potential wow. authoritarian power. Yeah. And one of the lines I really like, like when I think about myself, who is, you know, although I'm a Jew, I'm a white man too. It's the end of a line from a paper from 1990 about white privilege written by Peggy McIntosh. Hmm. And it's, I keep this line a lot. And she says, um, as we know from watching men, it is an open question whether we will choose to use unearned advantage and whether we will use any of our arbitrarily awarded power to try to reconstruct power systems on a broader base. Interesting. So, yeah, so what I always think of is like any arbitrary power that I have, either because of what I look like or my mind or the family I was born into, I see it as my, and I think this comes a lot from like Jewish teachings, it comes from other places too, but it's my kind of drive in life not to accumulate more to myself or people like me but to, yeah. to use things outward. So that's, you know. Arbitrary power. That's, that's arbitrary really power. We, both of us, the two of us have a lot of arbitrary power. Sure. Like, uh, well, I know, think it goes back to, um, and I hate to be that kind of guy, look, it all goes back to caveman times. But <laughs> I, mean, I, I think that uh, um, male uh, humans, there is a sort of, I guess you could call it arbitrary power, but it, it is essentially when you boil it down to that, caveman lowest common denominator it is a physical arbitrary power men are you know traditionally obviously there's there's women that the strongest woman is is stronger than the than the the weakest man but you know on average men have you know the muscle mass and all that kind of stuff are physically stronger and you could say that that is arbitrary so in mm -hmm. the caveman world i guess that that made sense because you needed um 
some people in your tribe to be strong, <laughs> you know, to, to fend off the, the whatevers. Um, but it seems like that arbitrary power, um, rather than when that became not quite necessary as, as, uh, you know, we weren't fighting off wildebeest all the time, that arbitrary power, um, or that natural power became this sort of arbitrary power. And it, it is, even though we don't need to be physically strong to survive necessarily anymore, um, that legacy of that leg up that, that men have is still felt. And so I think what we're seeing is how do we dismantle that? Because it's essentially yeah. something that we don't. You know, and, and there's a lot, of, a lot of people, these guys are like, well, you know, if you go back to caveman times, this is just how things are. And it's like, well, sure. You could go down to our base animal instincts and say, yes, like, the you know our, our male instincts to just kill and f- kill every other man and fuck every other woman yeah there is like a natural instinct inside of men that that causes us to be violent sexual crazy people but our ability to overcome our animal instincts is what makes us human so why do we get to you know we don't people don't just like you know shit on the ground and you know a, a, a live in trees anymore we make the decision to to live in houses or or whatever uh so if we make that arbitrary decision to overcome our animal uh instincts and and be humans we can overcome the other things and i think that arbitrary physical power of men now has become an arbitrary um political and economic power yeah totally and it's uh it's that we have all of these different characteristics. So which are the ones are we going to bring forward? And I'm actually reminded when you started talking about cavemen and then we were talking about money earlier, this great, this guy, David Graeber, I bring up a lot, his book about, you know, the last 5,000 years of debt. Yeah. Him and many others, if you look back at, you know, there's not a lot of recorded anything from 5,000 years ago, but it seems very likely that money was really created in by uh, men trying to raise armies um, with the idea of like, you know, you need to, to pay us a a fee to live here. It's like, well, how are we going to pay you a fee with the money we don't have? It's like, well, then you, you can come up with something. Your your son will give your son money, but he's got to come with us. And so that idea, it's like, it didn't grow out of this need to be more efficient out of this so supposed barter system. That's a made up fantasy. That's we've never had any documented evidence, but we do have some that says that money creation histo- you know, in at least the last five, that really maybe started with this uh, male violence and, or just violence. And so that's how we, why we see like, if we want to diffuse power, get rid of this unearned privilege, one of the big ways of doing that is give a large number of people across really the planet the ability to create money, but not their own, like, you know, like in the U.S., it's not like every neighborhood would have a different currency. It's like, no, in the U.S., you can create USD dollars, you can create credit, you can lend it to your businesses, to your daycares, to things like that, your schools, your hospitals, Uh and those decisions can be made more locally than Wall Street banks through their central bank. Um, and that would provide over generations, a massive restructuring of power and privilege instead of being like, we're going to start giving little grants to all of the, um, communities that were underserved. have all of these restrictions and provisions and yeah, it's bullshit because it's like the oppressor is still oppressing. They're just grants can be a, 
grants can be another as an an opportunity to to spread power even more because grants yeah, we'll tell you how you need to use it because we know better than you. It's like no, yeah, give us the power to make the goddamn money, and we'll you know we're, obviously mistakes are going to be made, right? But let us make those. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's the thing is yeah we'll give you the money if your son comes and and fights the war with us or whatever very similar to yeah we'll give you the money uh nonprofit organization but you have to um you have to follow these restrictions yeah. uh, of the grant i mean obviously that's uh, not exactly the same thing but it's a similar principle or, that it's yeah or like cities getting an appropriation from the federal budget each year it's not indefinite so every year an overseer gets to decide you know are are, are am i going to give you a renewal and i'll i'll yeah. You know, and so it just adds to stress. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the overseer. I'm right. going to oversee everything. I'm no, going to great if Arnold would, what if, you know, they had made like, uh, if he was, I mean, he was the governor, right? But yeah. if one of his movies was kind of this concept, but in a yeah. kind of dystopian future where he's the overseer. That would have been great. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk to him? Um, we're okay. just at, at about the 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 one third mark through uh, today's program. So why don't we take a, a, a little bit of a break and we'll be back with uh, former uh, government overseer, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sound good folks? Love it. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. And we're back talking on the internet. Um, so Ben, why don't you bring in our guest, uh, kind of run him up a little bit, tell us a little bit about him and uh, we'll get right into the questions. Great. Um, so our next guest, um, probably better known by name in the entire world. Uh, I'd say he's probably in the top hundred of name recognized humans on the planet currently alive for a number of reasons. When you, even when you, you think of the word come, you think of this man, it's impossible not to. Let's bring on Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold, or sh what, what should we call you? You could call me the governor. Oh, the oh, I was gonna call you Terminator, but the governor? No, you could call me Arnold, that's fine, it's fine. How you okay. doing, Ben? It's good to talk to you, it's been a while. It, it's been a very long time. I don't actually remember ever having talked to you. When was the last time we spoke? Well, I think the last time that we spoke was when I signed your, uh, I signed the degree from your college. You remember this? I honestly, I uh, still haven't. Did you go to the yeah, University of California, California, didn't you? You went to one. I did. I did, but it's still in, it's still in its packing. Ah, okay. Well, a lot of people, they went to a, a university in California just so they could get my signature. Because when I was governor, you see, I was not doing the cons. I was not doing Terminator con, the Comic Con, all the different cons where you go to the cons and you sign the, the, the 8 by 10 headshots and all these things. You don't do that. So a lot of people wanted the signature of the Terminator. So they went to the, you know, the UCs and they would pay uh, tens of thousands of dollars a year, and then they would get the, the degree and it would be signed by by me, the terminate or the overseer, the governor, and they would have the signature. They would hang it up in the doctor's office or the office that they worked in or the, the, the grandmother's house or whatever. And they wanted to show off the fact that they went to college and that they knew the Terminator. That's interesting. I want to go back to something you said, though, 
having been through a number of programs and even having started a PhD and finishing in 20 days, which is a record. Um, I did that. I did that. Oh, I, you did that. I don't have, I can't legally use those word letters, but the, my advisor said I basically finished. Um, <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Yeah. But so what I'm getting at is I thought a lot about, you know, when people make claims, we need they to do very often. They make so claims. You said, you said a lot more people went to college to get your signature. That's true. That is one of the reasons why there's so much. How do you show that? How have you been able to show that? Well, we look at it. You see, when you, when I look at the the, the different things in life, you know, I see the little, everybody has the way that they look at things and you see things and you see some people have good vision and some people have the worst vision. I have the Terminator vision. Everything's in black and white, but then there's the cool 80s font, but it's in the red font. So when I look at things, I could see the stats, the facts about them. And so when I look at what's going on, I could see the stats about the people who went to college so they could get the signature for the governor. Interesting. Uh, I mean, that's mind blowing. I totally have no idea how that really works, but I trust you. Like for some reason, I just, I don't have any other follow-up questions. I just believe you. It's, uh, Lee, I mean, does that sound, sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that the Terminator augmented reality is uh, is uh, is is a, a, a good answer for why he would know all these things. So why did let's ask him? Why did I drop out of this PhD program? Did I? Was it because I already had one year signature? Like, a, is it a value thing? I didn't want to de- deteriorate the value of your signature. Like, what do you think, uh, Arnold? Well, you know, it's a difficult question. We all have to we all have to become the masters of our own destiny, Ben. And, you know, some people want to follow a different path. Some people want to be a doctor. Some people want to be a lawyer. Some people want to be a janitor at McDonald's and make minimum wage. And you make that choice. Everybody has a choice. Everybody could choose to be whatever they want to be in America. That's, that's true. You know, when I came to America, I was like, I could choose to be anything. I'm going to, and I, so I chose to be uh, Mr. Universe and uh, a movie star and a millionaire and the governor and a TV star and all these things. So I chose that. And then the other people, they choose to be a bum or they choose to work at a McDonald's. I didn't know you clung to that false narrative that everything in life is individual. That, well, not in everything yeah. in life. Not everything in life, but everything in America. You know, you go to wow. Soviet, you go into Russia, you go to China, and then they tell you, you know, hey, look, you're this... You're Yao Ming, you're tall, so you're going to be a basketball player. And, you know, you're, you're Mr. Xi and you look like, uh, you look like a, uh, a Winnie the Pooh, so you're going to be the, the premier of China. And they make these decisions based on you, you know. But in America, you, could, you come here and you make a decision. I decided that I, I, decided what, that I wanted to have a, a good a BMI and that I would be a millionaire. Um, and use some of my early Hollywood earnings to buy real estate, and then uh, and then make a uh, become a governor. These are the decisions okay. I made. This decision I could have decided to just work at McDonald's and be a bum, but I didn't, and that's why America's great. Okay, no, that's that's great. I just want to make one quick aside to our audience: nothing on this show. We do not endorse any of what yeah, I, I, right I definitely do not endorse anything. That is. That is definitely a, a false narrative. But that's, I didn't know, Arnold. Maybe you know, I, live the tim- I live the typical immigrant journey. You know, we're at a time where everyone is very anti-immigrant and we want to build the walls and we want to say, oh, well, if you're from the other countries and you don't get the benefits and then you don't get the tax dollars, you don't get the education, and you don't get the health care. But, you know, I, and so everyone hates the 
you know, everyone hates the immigrants, but on the left wing side, you know, I don't give any credit for being a for being an immigrant. All I hear about is the white male privilege and the, all of these things. But you know, I'm an immigrant too, and I, this is this is the immigrant journey. You know, if other if other people made the decision to be more like me, then they wouldn't have to be, you know, uh, the bombs or any of these things. So Arnold, let me ask you, if, if I was a, f- uh, a five foot three uh, female from Thailand, how could I have become Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator? Well, that, was, uh, that, is, uh, that is a good question, but I think you could find other ways. You know, now you have the uh, plastic surgery and the sexual reassignment surgery and all of these things, and you could be whatever you want to be. You, could, you, know, you can identify as whatever you want to be. So, so I you're think saying if I play into the world of the uh, ruling class, I can be whatever I want. Well, that's true. You know, what you have to do is you have mm. to take magazine clippings. You know, if you're a small, let's say you're a person, you're a female person, you're five foot tall, and, you know, you don't look like the Terminator, but you want to be the Terminator. All you want to do, you know, is just take magazine pictures, and then you take a glue, an Elmer's glue or something like this, and then you take the magazine pictures, and you take a piece of paper, and then you, you take the paper, and then you glue the things onto the paper, and you have a vision board, and you know, this is what I want to look like, and you look at it every day, and you say, hey, this is me, I want to look like that, and then eventually you look at yourself, and then you're the Terminator. Do you, I mean, do you see, like, a, in part, the rise of things like uh, computer programming, uh, graphical rendering and animation as yes, a way computers. to be something that they weren't? Well, you know, everyone wants to have an avatar, you know, and everyone wants to use the... Here's on the Zoom conference. You, 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 well, who's your avatar, Arnold? My avatar is, uh, is uh, Sylvester Stallone. That's who I really would want to be. It's not Ronald Reagan. Well, the Ronald Reagan was a great guy. You know, here's the thing. He came and then he was a movie star and then he was, to pray, he was the governor of California and he called in the National Guard to take out the hippies and all these things and then he became the president. So he was very much a hero of mine. He made the decision to be a hero, you know? So that's why I like it. But the, that's the thing, but the avatars and the becoming of the other people and, you know, you say, hey, like here, on, like what I was saying, on the Zoom call, you could click the little button and it makes you, your face less... You know, zitty, and you can have a lesser, you have a blurry face, and it makes your face look better. And you have all of the, you know, the different apps that you could use to to make yourself look better. You know, and all yeah. of this. That's interesting. I got a question for you. I first just want to give a quick shout out to Jitsi.org. I okay. uh, found Jitsi. them yesterday. It's an open source encrypted video conferencing tool. J I T S I dot org. Open source, free. Uh, its encryption is stronger at this point than Zoom and the others. Privacy up the wazoo, obviously, because they're not tracking anyone because they don't care. They don't uh, give a shit, right? You know, that's the yeah. thing. But let me ask you, as governor, what would you say was your one of your greatest accomplishments? Well, I would say that my greatest accomplishment was the fact that um, – I ruined my own political career by being you know, relatively incompetent. And a lot of people say, we're going to change the constitution and make it so an immigrant could be president and all these things. Did you eat Trump earlier? I, I get the sense, I can hear like Trump's voice behind you. Did you eat him? I did eat him, you know, I ate him oh. and he was very delicious. I ate a little piece of him, but you know, it's fine. Everything's good. I think I can hear like his voice coming through. That's interesting. Well, how long ago did you eat him? 
Well, I ate him, you know, for lunchtime, and so that was a couple hours ago, you know, and I ate him, and everything's fine. Okay, but yeah, so your greatest accomplishment as governor was ruining your political career. Right, because the country would have been, you know, I pumped up California. So I would say that my number one thing that I did is pump up California. So California was sufficiently pumped up, but the liberals and what the- What does that mean, pumped up? Because I know you that because people would look at California and they would say, oh, this great Davis, he's nice. there's no pumping at all. And then Arnold, he comes in and he pumps and then now we're very pumped up. And so I would say that that, but everyone didn't want to be pumped up. And so they did not let me pump up Washington, D.C. And so that's what, but so I wasn't able to ruin the rest of the country. And so that is my great accomplishment. Interesting, because yeah, they're like using these phrases, they're very, they're cheap tricks that's, you know, it's great for politicking it, but it's like, what does it mean? There's nothing there. But um, I mean, because your muscles are very big and your ego is very large. I have a very big ego, large muscles to boot, to go with them. I heard you're a vegetarian now or vegan. I do the vegan, the plant-based diet, you know, and I have the sausages that are made out of grass, you know, and then I have the... <laughs> You're eating grass? You have a, the stomach of a cow? You have a I have a stomach of a cow, and I have many animals here, you know. There's a video online of me smoking a stogie with my donkey and my little miniature horse. And so I have the horses and the donkeys and the, and the cow and everything. I have all of these animals, and they wander around my house. And, you know, we're here under quarantine, and so we have all these animals, and we're walking around, we're smoking stogies, we're sitting in the hot tub, and we're working, we're doing a workout, who, and all these. Who we? Who else is there with you? Well, there's me, and then my family, and all of the uh, illegitimate children I've had over the years, and they're here, and we have horses, and we were spending time together in the quarantine, and everything's good. So I've been eating a plant-based diet, you know, I have the the hot dogs that are made of the tofu, and I have the, the cheeseburgers that are fake cheese, and the fake burger and everything and it's very good do you is there anyone i i feel like you've been hanging out with a lot of israelis is there an, a, any um israeli counterpart you have over well we have the israeli friends and you know it, it, that's the thing is i what i love about the israeli people is they don't they don't have a line you know everything in america you have to wait in a line you go over here and you wait in the line they go to the store and you wait in a line to go to disneyland you wait in a line to go in the airport but in Israel, there's no line. Everyone just kind of pushes everybody out of the way. And that's why I like Israel. Oh, so there's a blob instead of a line, but you still have to wait. Well, no, you push. You don't wait. Here's the thing, you know, here you in America, we wait. wait. We look at the phone and everything. But in Israel, you just push. You push. And then every person in front of you, you get you pushed. And then the person behind you, you get you pushed. Yeah. Everyone so somebody pushed. is waiting. And, uh, it gives but, you something to do. Because in Israel, they make, they invented the cell phone in Israel. So they're not going to sit around and play on the cell phone where they're waiting in line. So they don't do that. They push. So it's just like a mosh pit, basically. It's just a mosh pit. Well, the Jews invented also the, the punk music, you know. Oh, I didn't know but that. That's why in the punk music, they go, oi, oi, oi. Because the Jews are there and they're doing the punk music. And then they're doing, uh, they're doing the, uh, what's it called, the mosh pit. And the, uh, the crowd surfing and then the punk rock man, he jumps onto the crowd and they carry him around and everything's good that, like that. And they, so they have the mosh pit and then they go, oi, oi, oi. And there's the one guy and he jumps and then they're dancing. And then there's the other guy and he's dancing, he's moving the shoes and he's looking down at the shoes and he's dancing and they have the little, the little slippers and the, everything is there. And that's, that's why I do it. Interesting. Do you have any other social commentary or theories on, on where, you know, the mosh pit being invented by the... Israeli Jews and um, any other 
uh, theories that you've developed over the years? Over the years, but you know, give me a topic and I'll give you my theory about it. How about that? Okay. Any um, topic. Give me the topic, I'll give you the theory. <laughs> you give me the topic, I give you the theory. <laughs> I like that. You give me the topic, I give you the theory. That sounds like it could be a name of your, like a lecture series or something. You just well, go I'm around. Gonna TED, I'm going to do a TED talk. You do a TED talk. So you give me a topic here and I'll give you the topic, I'll give you the theory, okay? And then I'll do the TED talk. Okay, so the topic, let's do um, beaches. Well, you know, the beaches, there's a difference. There's a difference between beaches and holes. Because, you know, the rappers, they, know. Talk, they yes. talk about beaches sure, and sure. they talk about holes. Okay. But, you know, it's a very different thing because someone could be your bitch, but they're not going to be your hole. And so it's very different. So, you know, a lot of people, they listen to the rap and they say, oh, the beaches and the holes. But the beaches are different than the holes. And that's all I have to say about that. Okay, great. Just again, our audience, we don't endorse. I asked yeah, about that is, we don't beaches. use the B, the B word to describe. Yes, and I also asked about beaches, B E A C H, for the record. But well, the film, the beaches, the film with the uh, the the movie. It's got the wing beneath the wings, and it's the the beaches, and it's a was a Bette Midler, and who's the other woman? It's a Bette Midler, the Bette Midler, and the other lady, and then the one of them gets the the Ronstadt. What what is it? Linda Ronstadt? Is it Linda? And then the other know. one gets the cancer and the boobies, and then they, that's so, you know, so I think that that's a good, let me look it up here. No, no, what are you, uh, how about let's go on to like, um, who, where, where was the first petting zoo? How about that? Uh, I, I, by the way, I just looked it up. It's Bette Midler and Barbara Hershey. That's right, Barbara Hershey. It's Spalding Gray is also in it as well. It's a great picture of beaches. That's my theory. Uh, so what was the other go. question? Yeah, I was just trying to figure out. Uh, a little history on where um, petting zoos originated. Ah, with the petting zoos. Well, the original petting zoo is just nature, you know. And the human beings, we were out and we were hunting and we found the angry animals like the tigers and we throw the spears at the tigers and then they attack us and then we get eaten by the tigers. Sometimes we win the tigers, sometimes we eat the tiger. But then there was other animals, there were the cute animals, you know. We see the... We see a little doggy, you know, a wolf or something, and then we start to pet it. And then we see, you know, maybe like an elephant. We pet the elephant and we go, oh, this is not so bad, you know. Maybe the dog, maybe we don't just have to kill animals. Maybe we pet them and then we bring them, yeah. we bring so them roughly, back and we pet them. And then suddenly we have, well, these are, we have different animals. Some animals we ride, you know, and some animals we kill. Some animals are just our friends and then we cuddle with them and we play with them and the baby animals. And then those are the ones that we put in the petting zoo. So that's how the petting zoo started. Wow. So it began with uh, human domestication of other species. That is correct, you know. But then, and then they decided to charge it, you know. Because then there would be one guy in town and he has, you know, no skills. He's not cooking. He's not making anything. He's not doing a storytelling. He's not hunting anything. Ali just hanging out with the animals all day. So then the other people... He would, other people come and they pay him to touch the animals. And that's, he was the original Tiger King, you see. Oh, wow. Yeah, do you, do you watch Tiger King? Of course, everyone's watching the Tiger King. I, I watch the Tiger King. 
I didn't, I didn't watch it. Well, you just, you're a communist and then you don't always watch other things, but you know, that's okay. The hell does that have to do with me being a communist? I don't know because you don't do everything that everyone wants to do. Everyone does the same. <laughs> that makes me a communist. Right? And you're different. You talk about, you know, money, the distributing and the, of the money, and then you don't watch the TV programs. Everyone watches. You think you're so much better. You think you're so much smarter than everybody else because you don't watch TV. You know, oh, I only watch documentaries, but I don't watch the docuseries about, oh, my dad was a Zodiac killer, or you know, you're a Tiger King, or whatever. I only watch the ones about how wealth is created and stuff like this. And so you think you're so smart, but this is not the, really the case. That's it, interesting because I watch in the last few years. I've watched quite a lot of TV programs, um, but I'm glad you acknowledge that I'm a, a, a rampant communist who thinks the coastal, a coastal elite, latte sipping liberal with your ideas and all. What your- are you then? You're not that. No, I'm a golfer. I like to golf and I like to smoke. See, I like to smoke stogies. So that's not elitist. Golfing is at, at no golfing is the sport of the people, Ben. Is it really? It's the sport of the people. You what know? about when it costs fifty thousand dollars to be part of a golf? Well, that's a choice. You know, you come to America, you say, "I would choose to be poor, or I could choose to be a golfer." And if you choose, then you can do it. Hey, Arnold, is there anyone else at your house that we could? Talk to for a little while, so we don't have to hear from you. Be quiet over there, Sylvester. I'll come back and we'll finish playing with the uh, we'll finish playing with the Animal Crossing when we're done here. All right, I see that there's fish on the Animal Crossing, and I'll come back and do the fish. But in the meantime, why don't you go get use the butterfly net and go find some butterflies? Okay, I'll be over there in a second, Sly. For God's sakes, just calm the fuck down. Hey, Lee, I think what would be great to get, like, as an investment is one of those things, you know, that they have when you're, like, your spine and you yeah. can, uh, magnify uh-huh. a voice in the background or something? Enhance. Like, enhance, yeah, let's get one of those because, like, I could hear Sylvester talking, but I don't totally, he, I heard something about, like, rabbits maybe or. Hey, what's going on over there? It's, it's, it, I'm talking on the program, I'm talking on the internet with the boys, the Jewish guys, Lee and the, the guys, you know, the thing, the show. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, should we, do we want to talk to Sylvester too? I mean, ask him, does he want to? We'll see how I, I think they want to talk to you, Sylvester. We switch over here and I go play the Animal Crossing and then you can talk to the boys here. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch over. I'm handing the phone over to the. Hey, thanks for coming on, Arnold. Oh, it's no problem. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, maybe never again. But thanks anyway. All right, thanks. All right, so Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah, um, how you doing over there? Oh, pretty good. Sorry, you, your voice is like lulling. I just yeah. forgot to answer. Yeah, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Doesn't matter where you are. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. You sleep now, little man? (laughs) (laughs) What? You just call him little man? (laughs) Right, little man. You think you're big, but you're a little man, you know? Hey, Sylvester, you know what's crazy? Like a long, long time ago when I was a a young child, I was on a beach in Mexico. Oh, yeah. And our guide pointed out this house and said that it's one of your beach houses. Yeah, it's one of my beach houses. 
Yeah, me, Bette Midler, Barbara Hershey, we go hang out over there, you know? I didn't know you were friends. I, I also heard, is it true, like, aren't you, like, super close and tight with the, or you were with the Punchin' Llama in the 90s and aughts? With the Dalai Lama? The Punchin' Lama, the, uh, the, 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 not quite the number one, but. Oh, the other Lama. Uh, yeah, you know, I try to be friends with uh, different, I try to be friends with different Lamas, you know? Because sometimes the llamas, they think, oh, the llama, I'm going to spit on you. And there's a spitting. But, you know, llama could be a good guy, a really fantastic guy. And so a lot of people, you know, they say, hey, 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 Sly, why don't you be friends with the llama? You know, what's the problem with you? And I say, you know, that's the thing. I love llamas. Interesting. But you don't remember the human um, when you were, you visited Burma. Well, yeah, I went to Burma, you know, because there was a lot of, uh, there was, a, there was a lot of ethnic cleansing going on, you know what I mean? And so you, I just, so you I, was, went there? I went there and I was trying to stop the ethnic cleansing. And that's when I made the fourth Rocky movie, you know? Oh, interesting. I mean, sorry, the fourth Rambo movie. I always mix them up. Uh, yeah. If you want to go, if people want to go earlier in the feed, uh, there is a very, uh, long, boring episode where Sylvester, uh, argues with a caller about whether or not <laughs> Rambo or Rocky are the same person. Yeah, that's, that's true. I remember that. Now I do remember that. Was that, I, I, my, my history, my knowledge of this movie stuff is. Don't, don't worry about it. It's not a big, I really should, we should not get back into this. We shouldn't even talk about it. He doesn't really sound like he wants to be here with us right now either. Well, you know, I came over here to play uh, Animal Crossing with my boy, you know, and do some fishing, you know, maybe find some seashells or whatever. I didn't expect to be on a podcast. I know you're not too happy with me at this moment, but here I am. Well, I mean, do you want to, you don't want to stay on and, and, well, you know, I answer a couple. Why don't you ask me two more questions? Two more. Yeah, all right. Two more questions. That's fine. We're about forty-five minutes into the program, so yeah. Why don't we ask two more questions of uh, our action, our second action hero interviewee today, and then we're gonna go into our final topic of the day, which will be a sort of uh, a goodbye to one of our favorite presidential candidates. Uh, but before we get into that, let's 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 each ask a question. Then you so, want to go first? I have no idea what to ask. Mr. Stallone. Yeah. Uh, what would you say is the best Rocky movie? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I would have to say number three. Really? Number three? That's, that's kind of not regarded as one of the best. Well, you know, because it has, most, it has a lot of the things that people think of when they think of Rocky. It's got Eye of the Tiger. You know, it's got that great song, Eye of the Tiger. It's got me, okay? It's got Paolo. And it's got uh, Mr. T, and then it's also got. Um, I think that one has a robot. There's a robot in that one. Maybe that's five. I don't know. But anyway, uh, but then it also has uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Hulk Hogan. So it has everything you think of in a Rocky movie is in that one. So I, I would say that one's the best one. All right. Wrong. <laughs> Incorrect. Is <laughs> not the best. <laughs> Rocky one or maybe Creed are the best ones. So let me ask you. Yeah, I was gonna, I was wondering if you've. I, I learned just now that you sold your first script to get out of uh, to, to overcome a bankrupt bank account for a hundred dollars. A script. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I just sell my dog too. I just sell my dog. You know, and I said this. Uh, well, that's the thing is that I had. You know, I wrote Rocky. You know, and they said, "Hey, we'll just buy this. We'll buy it from you." You know, 
but you won't be able to play the guy, you know. But then I said, no, 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 I want more creative control. So I took a risk, you know. I could have just pulled myself out, but instead of taking just the one paycheck, I took the responsibility. And that's the thing. In America, it's a choice, you know what I mean? I woke up, and I decided that I wanted to be an Academy Award-nominated uh, writer. And I, then I became one, because I could choose, because it's America. And then I did a lot of cocaine. <laughs> oh, yeah? Hey, could oh, we yeah. make your first script into a movie? Are you, were you okay with that? Uh, yeah. Well, I thought it was Rocky. Wasn't Rocky my first script? I thought your first script was Paradise Alley. That never got made. Oh, no. Paradise Alley got made. That was, I remember that one. I think oh. I sing the theme song in that one. Look it up. Do I sing the theme song in that one? Let's, we'll get back. How about next time? We'll get back to that. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Thanks for uh, taking a break from your, your game. I'm done with the interview now, Sebastian. It's your turn to play. All right, I got to get back over to this guy. He wants to play one of the more the fishing. All right, great. Thanks so much. All right, hey, thank you. Thanks, Sly. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, yeah all right. Bye-bye. All right. Um, well, that was an interesting interview, uh, double interview with two uh, action icons of the 80s and 90s. Um, but we'll be right back to discuss uh, something that is sad, uh, but uh, hopefully inspiring here on Talk on the Internet. Don't touch that dial. All right, and I'm going to move into our final segment today on the program, um, and that is, um, I'm not going to call it a, uh, a political obituary. Rather, I'm going to call it a um, moment uh, for the revolution to uh, reframe its priorities or reframe its strategy for achieving its priorities. And that is, of course, the fact that our man Bernard has dropped out of the race. And I think that since we have started season 69 of uh, Talk on the Internet, we've talked a lot about Bernard. Um, and he finally did drop out. He saw that the electoral math was sort of uh, not going his way, would basically be un insurmountable. And he decided to suspend his campaign, uh, but encouraging people to still vote and vote for him if they so wish. So, um, you know, uh, ben, I'm trying not to be too sad about this. You know, I understand he's not the perfect candidate. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of grumpy, and he, you know, he, he's, you know, uh, got goofy hair, and he's not slick or anything. You know, um, but his ideas were great. You know, he might not have been the best at playing party politics, but he was. Uh, he had the, he had the track record that showed he he cared about people. And I think that even people who disagreed with Bernie on everything, they all acknowledged that he was incredibly consistent, incredibly consistent. And when you look at, um, I, I always, during the 2016 election, I, I always talked about these two quotes from the year 2000 about same-sex marriage. Um, and uh, there was uh, two quotes. Um, there was a quote from, uh, from Hillary Clinton and a quote from Donald Trump. And one of the quotes was that, um, I think that uh, we need to strengthen the civil rights bill to um, include uh, gay marriage and protect gay marriage. And the other quote was that uh, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, of course, uh, the first quote saying that we should strengthen the Civil Rights uh, Act to protect uh, gay marriage was from Donald Trump, 
And the second quote that marriage was between a man and a woman was uh, from Hillary Clinton. And, uh, you know, people change. And uh, at, at the end of the day, their, their opinions kind of swapped. Um, and, uh, you know, take that as you will. But Bernard, whether it was uh, war, economic policy, social policy, uh, his opinion has never changed. You know, you go back to him running for mayor and you run that tape and what he's saying is exactly the same as what he's saying now. So I hope that, uh, that he uh, proves an inspiration to other candidates who say what they mean when they say it and stick by it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think Joe has come around a lot on, on issues um, and, you know, uh, this campaign has, the, the more progressive candidates have sort of forced him to do that. And that's good. But it would have been nicer if Joe had just sort of <laughs> been <laughs> had uh, uh, good opinions the whole time, and you know hadn't uh, voted to go to war in Iraq and all of these things, mm-hmm. um, or battered Anita Hill on the stand while she was testifying. Um, so, yes, I refuse to call this the political obituary of Bernard Sanders. Um, it is the moment that. Uh, we take a look at his successes um, and his uh, his failures. And I think his success was that he formulated policy and messaging um, that really spoke to a lot of people. And I think that uh, wherever you are on the political uh, uh, spectrum, I think it's very clear that uh, there's immense inequality, economic inequality, among other types of inequality in our country. Um, I think even the most conservative people on the other side of the spectrum from Bernie are not like big fans of, of big corporations and the insurance companies and, and all of that, that jazz. Right. Um, Definitely. But um, yeah. So I, I think that they found that he found that that um, didn't quite pay off and, or that did, that did pay off. But I think he, he found that, um, you know, maybe being too, um, revolutionary within the party like not quite not collaborating enough with party insiders maybe that didn't work but i push back against that narrative i think that what they accomplished um what the the bernie campaign accomplished was because they refused to kowtow to democratic establishment Um, exactly and the democratic establishment they um their strategy was tight man they 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 Someone strong-armed everybody into dropping out and rallying behind Joe in, a, in, in an incredible way I never thought would, would, I, I, I would ever see. And he went from having never won a primary in his life to winning all of them. <laughs> so, um, but, so I'm kind of afraid that that's the takeaway, that, oh, we have to play nice with these fucking party bosses. And no, we need to push harder. We need younger, uh, even more aggressive people to push, to push harder. So uh, I guess... <laughs> I started this out by saying, let's look at what he did and did, did right and what he did wrong. And I'm actually just saying, no, he did everything right. Fuck everyone else. Bernard Sanders has been 100% right all of the time. Even the, even the fact that he got an A- minus from the NRA or that he got a, uh, an A- minus on gun, gun control rather than an A. Because honestly, people in fucking Vermont can have guns. Shut the fuck up, everybody. He's been 100% right about everything, and he didn't do anything wrong. And the <laughs> thing that happened wrong was that everyone else is a fucking piece of shit. God bless Bernie Sanders. I will feel the burn for fucking ever, okay? And I'm not going to get mad anymore, but I'm going to get mad one last fucking time. Okay, I'm done. Thank you, Lee. No, he's left. He, he raised the voices of tens of millions of people or more 
that have been pushing for truly broader based control. Like, I don't think there's a single person uh, in this country that actually believes in democracy and uh, not accumulating power and wealth to few people who wouldn't support him. And the thing is, he brought up the movements and voices of so many different people, whether they were in politics or not. Um, And he normalized a lot of things. And one of the best headlines after coronavirus really started, you know, the response was closed down cities. The headline was reality endorses Bernie Sanders. It's like, not only are people losing jobs, losing insurance, it's just like, it's so fucked policies are kind of falling. So the thing I'm most concerned about, at least in the short term, is that we'll have this like bifurcation where some cities, some counties, some states are going to keep making progressive change. Yeah. You know, yeah. like working on things like expanded rights, uh, progressive ways of addressing healthcare mm-hmm. things, public banks. Gavin Newsom does others. We're a nation state. He said we're a nation state. He's a very centrist well, Democrat. Yeah. And but a lot of but other states are looking to try to get rid of things like abortion rights. It's like why would so people in elected positions like this is what they're wasting their time doing. Yeah. I remember and, when um, and that's going to be allowed to persist and you know Biden might help a little bit. He's not going to really do much. He'll have this kind of dual track if he wins where you'll have you'll still have this hyper privatization and control yeah. and like this parallel system of of government, but he's not going to do things like give money creation more locally, diffuse power. He doesn't believe in that. No. It's going to delay um, the revolution or just actual, just like good change that we need to become better people. And so, and I just fear that, you know, if every single person in this country voted and the vote was not impeded upon, if their vote was not influenced by someone standing over their back, with the threat or use of violence, Bernie or Biden would have won. Yeah. But if we look at how voting is likely to turn out and then the real chance of if, if certain states are close enough doing yeah, a the re- voter suppression yeah. is the, we're seeing the most crazy level of voter suppression that, than we, that we have seen since reconstruction. Yeah. And if a few, I mean, it's totally insane. Yeah. And governors are going to call me hyperbolic for saying that, but fuck you. We are definitely seeing a return to reconstruction Jim Crow levels of disenfranchisement, except now it's not based on anything at all. It's just that they don't want people to vote who don't vote for them. It's not even based on race or class. It's just based on, on who would, uh, vote for Democratic candidates. It's so brazen. It's terrible. So and even places crazy. like California is doing it. And then they're saying on, it out loud, too. <laughs> like here they're doing it based on obsession with technology and efficiency. Yeah. It's terrible. That's why yeah. they're not truly, like even the Democratic Party in the, the neoliberal part of it have tremendous flaws. Like they might, you know, the, yeah. the hell is paved with good intentions. It's like you might say that you want all this stuff, but if you don't actually do the things that are needed to do it, then it's all just a bunch of fucking hot air. Yeah. So it's like even in California, in LA County, something like a thousand out of four thousand voting locations were closed down. Yeah. And so like, oh, but we added a lot of days. You can vote on more days. It's like, but for people whose it takes a long time to get places, they don't have a car, they work tremendous amounts of hours. It's not. It doesn't matter. It's just, it wasn't efficient it's because it, okay. Here's here's the thing. I, I went to vote on one of those 
pre-vote days, like, you know, uh, before the actual election day here in California. My wife and I went in. There was zero people in line. We walked in, walked out. No one there. And then other people on the on this. So but I would not say that that is efficient. That is not efficient. That's good for me. But that's not efficient because meanwhile, on the other side of town, people are waiting in line for hours and they're running out of ballots and all of this shit. So yeah. I would rather have waited. If, if someone over there waited two hours and I waited zero minutes, I would rather wait an hour and they wait an hour or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think it's efficient to have one person wait two hours and another person not wait at all. No, it's not efficient. That's yeah. mismanagement of resources. Obviously, you can't. You're not going to know exactly when people are, are going to come and at what time. But that's why we vote to, to get a head count of that. But anyway, yeah. so a lot of people are saying that that uh, Obama is going to hop back into to the race and, and that the party establishment is they're so excited that he'll be able to come off the sidelines and, and campaign for them. If I was fucking Obama, I wouldn't campaign for these people. Like he doesn't owe anything to Joe Biden. Joe Biden owes him. <laughs> you know, yeah, but throwing him on the ticket. They're part of the neoliberal establishment. Yeah, you know? I, think, I think he will. And I really hope that he goes around and he gets young people and people of color to vote again. Uh, because like I've always said, everyone, the Democratic Party thought that they had created some vast intergenerational, interracial uh, coalition. And no, they didn't. They had, there was a cult of personality around Obama uh, that I, I included myself in. I don't, I don't think he – there's a lot of things I'm disappointed what he did, but I still like him and think he's cool. And I, I've seen him speak, and I would do what he says, and he'll tell me to vote for Joe Biden, and I'll probably go vote for Joe Biden. Uh, but if I was him, I wouldn't want to because he's probably looking at it and going like, uh, Joe's going to lose, uh, and I don't want to have gone out there and stick my dick in the wind again and, and have the piss come at my face. He's going to do it. He would have done it for any of the candidates. It. He would have. He would have. I would have loved to see him with his arm around Bernie's back. You know, God, that would have been fucking great. Yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, we're back to, back to, back to the same old corporatist bullshit. Yeah, but, no, but I think this bifurcation they have to think about is important. Well, you will have, there's plenty of movements all yeah. over. But they'll still lose and they'll blame, they'll blame Bernie. They're going to be blaming Bernie. No, I, but I'm saying like real progressive died, change is going to happen, but it's going to Bernie be died tomorrow, they would still blame him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Bernie could die tomorrow. The election could happen. They could lose. And they'll be like, well, you know, it's Bernie's fault. It's that dead body's fault. Anyway, oh, yeah. I hope he doesn't die. I hope we, I hope, I'm not going to say we win. I hope the Democrats win for the sheer reason that we need to, to sort of stop the bleeding on the Supreme Court. And all of the courts, the court appointees. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you could do is take an FDR approach too. When you just do, when you it. finally get someone like Bernie in power, yeah, and just yeah, exactly because it's all these aren't natural systems. You can do whatever you want, yeah. And because if a yeah, if the tyranny of the mind, of, you know, of a tyrant does all these things, you can't let this decide the next four generations. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so. Well, this was a fun show. We we did what we like to do, which is talk about the serious issues and talk about talk about uh, economics, and talk about politics, and then have a little fun and talk to some celebs. Um, so, oh, any cool. final thoughts? Um, no, I just think I, I like how you put that, like a little of the real life and a little bit of the the fantasy. And it was great to, to yeah. enact that fantasy with two 
kind of like live superheroes. Yeah, two living superheroes. That's right. Uh, so yeah. next week, uh, we'll, we'll be back. And I, I want to talk a little bit. We didn't get a chance to, but I want to talk a little bit about all of these sort of uh, Zoom parties that have been having because I, I got to – my wife is cool. Like your wife, she's a cool media professional, and all of her friends are cool media professionals. So uh, Yeah. So I want to look into this Jitsi too this week. Yeah. This open source encrypted, yeah. no data tracking. I'll do some tests and see if we can do our next show on this. And, and hopefully within a few weeks, we, you can, we can get you back over here to Handsome Headquarters and we can, we can record live and, and uh, get things back to normal. So I think that's, that's going to happen. All right, buddy. Um, well, for Ben, for me, for Arnold, and for Sylvester Stallone, Lee Sanger Golden. And you've been listening to us talk on the internet. Hit us up at Internet Batman on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, send us an email at buyhustle at gmail.com and uh, let us know what you think and what you'd like to talk about. And we'll talk to you soon, folks. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, everyone. All right. Ciao.